Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. final week of Hebrews, a whole summer long we've been in this series. Um, It's been awesome. I loved it. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, It's interesting as we come to an end, it feels like we've been there for so long, it's kind of sad to move on. But I am really excited about our next series. We're starting a series called Retold, and Lucinda's kicking us off next week. We're going to be looking at Sunday school stories you thought you knew. So if you grew up... I don't know if you guys remember the, the image for it is the uh, projector. You guys remember the projector and you'd put the slides on it and it throw it. All right. But you used to have those things in Sunday school. You had the, those flannel graphs. You guys remember the flannel graphs? Yeah. The felt board? That's what I was looking for. <laughs> so there's all these, you have these stories that we're going to look at. We're going to, a lot of times in Sunday school, those stories were turned into like moral lessons, like be good obey your parents, you know, but the stories are much more rich than that. And so that's what that series is about, is diving into these stories and and exploring what they mean and and looking at them deeply. So I'm excited about that. This week, we're talking about holiness. (laughs) I can remember growing up in a holiness movement, the Nazarene church, okay, that's what I grew up in, and like, it was dreadful whenever the word was brought up. And now I find myself talking about it all the time. But that's because I think we have a misunderstanding of what holiness is that I hope to kind of get at today. Because I think that the author of Hebrews is getting at that today. We've talked about, if you go back to week one and you look at the whole series, it seems like over and over and over again, we've been talking about how Jesus is greater and mightier than anything else in this world, in this all of creation, right? And that because of his greatness and his mightiness that we should fix our eyes on him and persevere in faith. And this call has been from the writer of Hebrews saying, listen, I know that your life is in a tailspin. Writing to his writers, I know that you're being persecuted. I know that things are going awry. It's not as you thought it was going to be. You thought it was going to be simpler. You thought you were just going to follow Jesus and everything was going to be smooth sailing, but it hasn't been. But here's the deal. Those things are trying to pull you from your faith. You have an anchor of hope. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, tomorrow, for all of eternity. Fix your eyes on him 
and he will pull you through. It's been all about your faith in him and not your outward behavior. And then we get to chapter 12 and 13, and it is all about your outward behavior. (laughs) I mean, if you go and you look, it's calls to holiness. It starts out talking about discipline, and we're not going to get into all that today because we got a lot to go through, but it's very clear that God has a desire in his heart that we would be holy, and a loving father knows that the best for us is a holy life, and that he loves us so much he's willing to discipline us in order that we might walk in that holiness. Listen, sometimes because we live in a sinful, broken world, we suffer. And it's not to do with discipline. It's not to do with our own wrongdoing. It's because we live in a broken world. But sometimes we walk and we suffer because we're being disciplined by a loving father who is calling us into holiness. And that's what we see as we transition into the end of Hebrews is a loving father calling us into a holy life. Now, this is not something that you can do on your own power. We're going to talk about that, but I want to make it clear from the beginning. What Hebrews is saying is that if you persevere in your faith, it will change the way you live. If you dig deeply into your relationships with your heavenly father, your outward life and your inward life will begin to be transformed to look more like Jesus. The author spends two chapters talking about what a life of persevering faith looks like. We get concrete examples about how listening and if you follow Jesus, we get concrete examples about if you follow Jesus, you will begin to live and act like him. Persevering faith will change your life. Up to this point, we've said it over and over and over again. Your salvation is not based on merit. You can't behave good enough to earn salvation. And therefore, you can't behave bad enough to lose it. All right, when we look at holiness, I see two things that tends to happen. When we talk, when we think about this idea of living holy and the fact that it doesn't necessarily have to do with our behavior, but then it does have to do with our behavior. And so when we kind of look at those two contrasts, we get either legalism or we get license to sin. Legalism or license. Legalism is when you have this list of rules that you must follow, right? You may have heard it said, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do. This is legal. Okay. (laughs) This is what was said. You got a catchy phrase on making sure you follow all the rules, right? This is what, don't dance, don't go to the movies, make sure you don't have any fun at all because this is like, remember the Titans? Zero fun, sir. Okay. That's this legalism picture. And what your faith is not based on anything you do. That's what we have to realize. Salvation is not based on merit. Those phrases have no weight when we look at scripture. Like, does God... Have we fallen short? Have we sinned? Absolutely. Are we sinful? Have we screwed things up? Absolutely. Is it up to us to make up for those shortcomings? Absolutely not. Jesus has done the heavy lifting. He has paid the price for our sins. He is our redemption. He is our forgiveness. It is all in Christ. I can remember getting to college and for the first time in my life, hearing this message that our faith is about relationship, not religion. Have you guys heard that before? It's about relationship, not religion. And this message changed my life 
Because up to this point, my faith was very religious. I wanted to, to earn everything by being good enough. This is, and so this message was great and it was concrete and it was something that I needed to hear because my faith was very legalistic. I followed the rules as a means to an end. Do you want to know if your holy living is righteous and just or if it's legalistic? See why you are obeying God. See why you are following the rules. If it's an attempt to gain something, you can know that your faith is legalistic. For me, it was an attempt to gain salvation. It was an attempt to gain approval of God. In my eyes, God was this angry man upstairs who constantly saw all the bad things that I did. He was so mad at me because I was secretly addicted to porn. I cussed all the time. I lied and I made up stories so that people would think I was cool. And I had all these hidden secrets and all this hidden shame and guilt. And so I thought God was always mad at me and I wanted him to approve of me and like me. So I did all the Jesus stuff right? I did all the Jesus stuff like go to church. I did the stuff like go to the altar and pray. I I read my Bible. I did all the things I was supposed to do because I knew secretly God was mad at me and I was hoping that if I behaved good enough, he wouldn't be mad at me anymore. And I kind of saw, I've talked about this before, I kind of saw life on this tipping scale. I had my bad stuff on one side and my Jesus stuff on the other. And as long as I did more good things than I did bad things, then God approved of me. And all of my holiness was not holy, holy. it was as Paul calls it, filthy rags because I was trying to dictate how God saw me. But God doesn't see us through our actions. He sees us through the lens of Jesus dying on the cross and we are made righteous in that. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation and to earn his approval. In the garden, we were separated from God. Sin damaged that relationship. God's plan was to bring redemption through Jesus Christ to mend that relationship. He longs to be with us. He longs to be in relationship with us because our faith is not about religion. It's about relationship. I I had a legalistic faith in an attempt to gain salvation. I had a legalistic faith in an attempt to gain approval. And I had a legalistic faith in an attempt to gain power. Now, this is tricky because a faithful life is a life of power. James tells us that the prayers of the righteous avail much. And when you live holy, you, ha- you experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But these things become because you dive deep in an abiding love with your Savior, not because you need the power to accomplish some kind of self-righteous mission. When, when your faith is legalistic in an, attempt to come, in an attempt at gaining power, it looks like this. I mentioned earlier that in high school I had an addiction with pornography. Not once did I ever fail in that addiction on a Thursday night. I was always good on Thursday nights. And I would wake up Friday morning and I would have devotions. And my Thursday night to Friday morning was always really holy. Because Friday night I had a football game. And I had this thought process that if I was holy, I would have the power of God and I would play well and my team would win on Friday night. 
I know it's silly, okay? But that was my mindset. I thought if I would be good enough, God would be like, you know what, George, you've done good. Here's my power. And that's how, I, that's how I navigated that season of life. And we laugh, but the truth is we hear this all the time. God, if you get me out of this situation, I'll change my life. God, I'll be holy if only you can help my mom get over the cancer. God, I'll be holy as long as you allow me to get that promotion at work. I'll start giving you my, my tithes and offerings if you will just bless my finances. Over and over again, we do things in our life in an attempt to control the power of God. And that is when your faith becomes legalism. Because you're being holy, not as a way to honor and love and serve God. You're being holy in a way to access his power for your own gain. When we live a holy life, God will truly move in a powerful way. But if you follow the rules and attempt to control the power of God, the result can be catastrophic. You could see an incredible, incredible is the wrong word, a massive moral failure, or at worst you go through life thinking you're holy, but you never really follow Jesus. You only follow your own behavior, and you die not knowing him. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm trying to, to say, that when I look at this teaching, I've seen people live their whole life following the rules, but never really being changed by God. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is abundantly clear. Your faith must be rooted in Christ and not in your own merit. Jesus went to the cross and paid the price to make us holy, to save us. And he doesn't want you to try and earn anything with him. He doesn't want you to be some cold, bitter, obedient follower. He wants you to be a loving child, listening and obeying your heavenly father. But what's happened is I heard this message that it's about being in relationship with God and not being religion. And I watched all of my peers dive headfirst into that teaching and begin to live a life that they didn't think the rules applied. Holiness was not important. It's a great idea and it's a good message, but it's incomplete if we think that the rules don't matter. As long as I love Jesus, I can do whatever makes me happy. As long as I love Jesus, and if the Bible calls it sin, it's not really sin because I love Jesus and he died for my sin. And we, we use this as an attempt to, to say that sin is okay. We use it as a license to do whatever we want in the name of Jesus' love. If he loves me, why would he not want me to be happy? And that's all that matters. But that's not what the book of Hebrews teaches. As we dive into the last part, we see that Hebrews says that your faith matters and your holiness matters. If you want to live a life of persevering faith and you want to know what that faith looks like, it looks like the character of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 14 says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. I like the way that the NIV translates it. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. 
without holiness, no one will see the Lord. As we continue on in the chapter, you get to, as we continue on in the book, you get to chapter 13. And chapter 13 starts off with a long list of things you should do as a Christian, right? So yeah, it's about relationship, not religion, but that relationship translates into holy living. Hebrews gives us a list of concrete ways that if you live out your life as a Christ follower, it should look like this. It says to let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels and get as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourself were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you or abandon you or forsake you. (laughs) The old King James Version. (laughs) But that's, what do you mean? I thought my faith was not based on my merit. And yet we have this long list, continue in brotherly love. This This is loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, even when you disagree with them. This is supporting them even when you might not agree on every little thing theologically. And I've had a hard time with this because I love theology and I love to argue theology. And there's been times in my life where I've taken it too far. Conversations with a friend or a loved one about theology and I just you don't know when to hit the brakes, okay? But this is a calling to live holy and to love your Christian family. Family. I see that, look, we see this happen in our life group. Every Tuesday night, people come to that group. They talk about areas where they might be struggling, areas where they feel God is pulling them, areas where they need to see God move. And we talk about it. We support, encourage one another. We ask hard questions. We listen. We pray for each other. We see each other loving each other with brotherly love. This is a command in scripture. If you're gonna live holy, you need to be a part of some situation where you're supporting and loving those who are in the faith with you. But it's not just about believers. It says to show hospitality. This is welcoming the stranger into your home for the sake of the kingdom. How you treat the outsider matters. How you love those different than you matters. This is taking on taking a, the new family at church out to lunch. This is having coffee with the coworker that might seem a little odd or a little frustrating. This is and listen, some of us in this room I shouldn't say us. Some of you in this room are really good at hospitality. I've seen the way you carry yourself in group. I've seen the way you carry yourself on Sunday mornings, and you're great at hospitality. I would even say you are gifted in hospitality. What would it look like for you to take a next step in that gifting? What would it look like for God to use you in an even greater way in this means of hospitality? But hospitality is not just for those who are gifted in it. It's for each one of us who are called in Christ, who live in Christ to be holy, is to show love and hospitality, welcoming the outsider into your life. How can you live with hospitality? A holy living is remembering the persecuted. I, I heard a, a speaker at college once say that this is praying for and paying for. <laughs> this is praying for those who are doing the Lord's work and they are being persecuted for it. I listened to a podcast this this past week. I'm not going to go into details, but there are 
Christians all over the world who are not just being killed for their faith, but they're being thrown in prison and tortured for their faith. How often do you pray for your brothers and sisters who are overseas facing a persecution that we in the States will never really know? It's not just praying for, but paying for. How have you financially supported missionaries? This is something as believers we're called to do, that it costs money to go overseas to get the training, to love and support those people. How do we financially support them? And then I I don't have a fun praying for, paying for word to go with that, but it's also, what if God's calling you to that? You don't hear a lot of pastors talk about that because that means somebody from their congregation is gonna go somewhere else. But my prayer is that we send people overseas. We send people to do missions, that God would call people from our congregation to face persecution head on because of their love for the Lord and their desire to share that love with people other than those of us in the States. How often do you think about and pray for and even search your own life to see if you're being called to go somewhere where you may be persecuted for your faith? Then it jumps into some really hot topics. And you got to be careful because we live in the age where if you don't cover everything and say everything right, that it can be used against you and say, oh, well, he didn't say this, so he must believe this. And we don't have time to do a whole message on marriage and sexuality. But the text addresses it. And in fact, if you go and you read scripture, almost every time that the Bible goes into what it looks like to live holy, it addresses the topics of marriage and or sexuality. The truth is those things are important to a holy life. And for us, for my understanding about marriage and sexuality, it is rooted in Genesis 1 and 2. And in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that sex is for marriage. It is a gift to be enjoyed by those who have made a lifelong covenant to be united as one flesh. Both Genesis and this text focus on the marriage. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning. I'm not going to do a whole message on it, but it simply means that if you're going to have a holy life, you must honor your marriage and you must honor sex inside of marriage. N.T. Wright says it like this, marriage is to be respected and honored by all, and nobody must try to break into the sexual union of a husband and a wife. The pagan world of the first century was every bit as sexually promiscuous as the Western world we live in in the 21st century. And Christians are called today, as they were called then, to stand out and to be deeply counter-cultural. The writer warns that God will judge those who flout, flout, I don't know what that word means, his intention for the gift of sex, using it as a plaything rather than a deep, rich, satisfying bond between a husband and a wife. That, and that was meant to be. This makes the church unpopular because in our culture, sex has been elevated to the ultimate goal. Sex should be, uh, I can have it with whoever I want, whenever I want. But that's not how the Bible talks about sex. And the truth is, the truth is, this means that anything out, any sex outside of marriage goes, contradicts what the Bible says. That means adultery, pornography, 
sex with a long-time boyfriend or girlfriend, a one-night stand, any of those things are outside of biblical sex. If this is offensive, I would humbly and prayerfully ask you to search your heart and see if it's because you have made an idol out of sex. But it's not just sex. It's money. The text says it. We've got it all here. Sex, power, money, suffering, everything you see in social media, on the news, Hebrews addresses it. <laughs> you, can, you can make an idol out of money just like you can make an idol out of sex. In fact, money is very similar to sex and is often listed with sex in the Bible when it's talking about holy living. They both enslave us and then laugh at us as it fails to provide the happiness that it's promised. When we think of money, if we think that we can just get this amount of money, get to this financial status, get to this tax bracket, and then I'll be happy, the truth is you get there and that money never satisfies. Now, it's not money that's bad. It's the love of money and what the pursuit of making money will do to your heart. And it ends this whole section telling us to be satisfied in Christ. Now, here's my fear. Here's my fear that is as we talk specifically about these things, how well do you love your neighbor, both the Christian and the non-Christian? How holy is your sexual life or your financial life? That you hear those rules and you jump back to section one about legalism. The truth is the Bible calls us to be holy. We, can't, we don't have a license to sin because Jesus loves us. The Bible calls us to be holy, but we hear those rules and we think, oh, now I just have to ground myself. I got to pull up my bootstraps. I've got to be better. I got to be more Christian. I got to make sure I follow all these rules. And if I don't follow these rules and I can't go to church because then they're going to judge me. And listen, that's not what holiness is about. In fact, you cannot change yourself at all. Hebrews is very clear. It is not by your will that you are holy. You continue reading in chapter 13, it says this in verse 12, therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his blood. That sanctify is to be made holy. You are only made holy through the blood of Jesus. Like salvation, holiness comes by faith alone. And when we realize that the only way we're to live holy is to surrender all of ourselves to God and it becomes a breakthrough moment. Holiness is not about pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and and willing yourself to do better. It's about falling deeper in love with Christ. And as you do this, the Holy Spirit begins to highlight areas where you may be operating outside the will of God outside the loving heart of your father. And then the Holy Spirit gives you the power to break free from that sin and change. You see, it's the blood of Christ that saves us and it's the blood of Christ that transforms us. Holiness, every step of the way, is by faith in Jesus and not by the work we do for God. Here's what I want us to see. True, genuine, persevering faith will change you. It will make you holy. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is what makes it truly good news. 
Yes, when you declare Jesus is Lord, you are saved. That means when you die, you will be in paradise with him. It means when he returns, bringing the new heavens and the new earth, you will be resurrected and you will walk in this holy city, (laughs) this holy city with him and every believer that was before you and every believer that will come after you. But in our salvation, we get to experience the first fruits of that promise now. Meaning we are transformed in this life, not just in the life to come. Do you see the beauty in this? Do you see the beauty of holiness? It means that the power of sin does not reign. 1 John 3, 9 says that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. What? That's not the truth I know. Because the seed of him remains in him. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. So John, you're telling me that being born of God means I'm able to not sin? I thought we were all sinners and there's no hope for that. The truth is you're not going to be completely perfect, okay? We know that. We know that as a reality of humans. But to say that you don't have power over the sin that plagues you, to say that you don't have the power to live holy, is not to believe the entire gospel. It's to hold on to that get out of hell free card. It's to hold on to that salvation and the promise, the hope that I have for the future. But it's to lack the promise to be healed here and now. It is through the blood of Jesus that you can live holy. Being born of God means we have the power to overcome the idols of our heart. It means we can actually live holy lives. This has the power to change your career. This has the power to change your finances. This has the power to change your prayer life. This has the power to change your physical health, to change your mental health, to change your marriage, to change your relationships. It could change the way you date. It could change the way you operate as a single person. God wants what is best for you. And what's best for you is holiness. Holiness is not legalism. Holiness is not license. Holiness is the character of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus. Holiness is being transformed into the character of God through persevering faith. I don't want you to get caught up in all the rules. I want you to get caught up in the love of your Father. And as you pursue Him, watch how the Holy Spirit changes your life. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus and let's live like Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts. I pray that as we navigate what it means to live a holy life in our day to day, in our culture and the things that are going on around us, I pray that that holy life would be rooted in scripture, that it would be rooted in you, and that the Holy Spirit, you would empower us, you would strengthen us and give us the courage to not just be saved, but to be transformed into the character of Christ, to be changed. That's our cry. That's my prayer. Lord, that you would mold us and change us and shape us, make us more like you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.